Fusion Patrol is a listener-supported podcast. Find out how you can help support us at patreon.com slash fusion patrol. This is the Fusion Patrol podcast. Each week, we look at a different science fiction TV episode or movie and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm John. And tonight we're looking at the Invisible Man episode, The Fine Art of Diplomacy. In the run-up to the American Bicentennial, Diego de Vega, ambassador to a small, strategically important country, and also brother to the ruler of that country, has arranged for priceless paintings to be stolen from the U.S. Capitol building and replaced with fakes. He is keeping the stolen paintings in a specially designed room in his embassy. His plan, to get them out of the country, then ransom them back to the Americans so they can avoid the embarrassment. When the Americans discover by accident that the paintings are missing, the Secretary of State calls in the clay resource, Dan Weston, the Invisible Man. First, they must snoop around the embassy to see if the paintings are there. Kate pretends to be a reporter doing a piece on De Vega. She visits him during a party held at the embassy, and while she flirts with him, Dan pokes around until he discovers the paintings. Unfortunately, he gets locked in the airtight room. In fact, the room is more than airtight. It has all of the oxygen pumped out. As Dan is about to die, he breaks the air pumpy outy nozzle thingy, returning air to the room and triggering an alarm that allows him to escape when they come to investigate. Kate overhears at the party that De Vega has a deal with an art dealer, Gregorio, to get the paintings out of the country in just two days' time. With photos of the stolen pictures and a known deadline, Kate and Dan turn the info over to the Secretary of State's office. Unfortunately, two days just isn't enough time to get a search warrant and raid the place, and they cannot go to the ruler of the country and expose his brother's criminal activity until after they get him to sign a deal for a NATO base. There's only one thing for it. Dan will have to steal the pictures and replace them with the counterfeits. It would be easy for the Invisible Man, save for one thing. If the paintings were seen floating into the embassy by themselves, it might raise suspicions. Kate must go back to an art party being held at the embassy the next day and really put the moves on De Vega, then drugging him, using his unconscious body as a prop and a key to allay suspicions. And then Dan, disguised as a Russian caterer, will bring, swap, and remove the paintings on his catering cart. The plan goes well, with the paintings being swapped without De Vega realizing it. But not without him realizing that Kate drugged him and managed to get into the secure room. She is held hostage. She buys time by implicating Gregario, who was actually completely unaware of the provenance of the art he was smuggling out of the country. But moments before Kate and Gregario are killed, Dan Weston the Invisible Man, subdues their would-be killer, and they escape. The end. So I think prediction may be accurate that this is just going to be a spy drama with an Invisible Man in it, but... Uh, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, what did you think of the episode? It was all right. I think Ross Martin's performance was definitely the high point in this. 
Uh, yes. Yes. Um, his, his unconscious acting. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. When he was unconscious, he was awesome. <laughs> uh, it, it, his his body movements were were good. There were times when I really thought they had him on strings or something to try to create that look. There were a couple times when you could tell it wasn't, but but most of the time it was it was it was exceptional. Um, yeah. yeah, they they used the uh, like propped at a forty five degree angle gag twice. Once when he was being dragged across the carpet towards the. Uh, desk, and the second time was being uh, moved into his chair after doing stuff in the other room. Mm -hmm. uh, and but both of those were just they were excellent. Yeah, I think I think there were a couple spots where you could tell. Like I think there was one where he threw his arms around her, and it was it was too fast. It was it was it didn't give the impression that Dan was moving one arm then the other. Yeah, kind of thing. But uh, yeah, apart from that, it was great. Now I will say Ross Martin. Um, probably, certainly best known as Artemis Gordon in the Wild Wild West. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, by far my favorite character in the Wild Wild West. I I have been watching through those lately, and I gotta be fair, he's a bit over the top. Yeah, yeah, a little. Now I know that I know that there is a certain amount of. It's not exactly camp. I don't want to phrase it that way, but. When he puts on a character in the Wild Wild West, and that's that's the thing. He's the master of disguises, so he's always putting on a fake beard and mustache and a patch and a funny accent. But he really goes over the top with those characters oh, uh, yeah. a lot of the time. And um so it would be it would be easy to dismiss Ross Martin's acting um or abilities. Uh if you watch that and you thought, well, there there is just but he actually can be quite good. And I've seen him be the bad guy but he always does have a little bit of a that sort of air of over the top particularly when he puts on a beard or something when, he, <laughs> when he's in a costume and he's got a, a an accent then he just kind of goes um but and he was you know he was he was exactly that as diego de vega mm -hmm. in this you know he was he was putting on a, a wild wild west character but slightly toned down but but yeah yeah, it was it was a joy to see him. I mean, Ross Martin. We lost Ross Martin quite a while ago. Yeah, I looked at his uh, Wikipedia entry in '81. I didn't realize it was that long ago, and I yeah, didn't realize was... he'd been in so many things. Yeah, yeah, he 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 was, and he was a, a concert violinist, I believe, mm -hmm. and a makeup artist. <laughs> Which he did all of his own makeup in, or all his own disguises in Wild Wild West. Yeah. He was very proud of that. And, you know, that's like, there are, uh, there have to be a hundred, there's four years of Wild Wild West. He wasn't in every one because he had a heart attack in the middle of it, but, mm -hmm. um, and was out for half a season. But, you know, it's got to be 80 plus episodes that he was in. And he did probably at least two characters per, per story. So, I mean, that's a lot of. Oh yeah, that's that's a truckload of work, and learning your lines and blocking and everything else. Wow, yeah, yeah, and and he was uh, he was apparently uh, uh, the consummate professional. <laughs> well, that's good. Um, he he learned his lines. He you know he took it seriously. He he was which some say he was not exactly. They were not the best of friends. He and Robert Conrad, who was a a guy who never learned his lines. 
Um, <laughs> Probably because they didn't get, you know, do boxing between takes enough. Yes, and he did. It. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there was there was some tension there, but uh, but even that, I mean, they come off they come off great, and, and again, to testament to the acting there that, mm-hmm. that they comes off like he he really likes the guy, but he doesn't. So anyway, hmm. that's a different show that's actually more science fiction than yeah. Strangely than enough, yeah. It, oddly yeah. Enough, I think yep. steampunk, but still, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I enjoyed the episode. Um, I think the first thing that crossed my mind after watching this and the previous one was like, oh, is that is that going to be the hook in this show? The Impossible Room? Uh, yeah, I'm kind of worrying <laughs> that myself. We, week after week. Oh, so, Dan, it's another Impossible Room you've got to get into. All right. Yeah. And, and all of them will have something that defeats the Invisible Man. No right. air, yeah. pressure plates, you know. Right. Exactly. Because otherwise there wouldn't be any element of danger. Yeah. And all we need now is like, uh, like wild cats that can smell him and, or, uh, like dust blowing through the room that will cover him with glitter or something like that. Oh yeah. Uh, that'd be a good that, one. Yeah. Well, the dogs, I mean, I'm sure somebody's got guard dogs that they're not going to oh, be yeah. fooled. Yeah. They were pretty popular. Well, they in might the be, 70s. they might be fooled. I wonder what a dog would do in a situation like that. Uh, bark and run after it. And then the uh, owner would think he's crazy. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm convinced that my dog sees invisible people all the time anyway, or smells oh. them. So. I think my cats do. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's theoretically possible. Yep. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's see. Uh, there's a line at the beginning. I, 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 it's not going to be a huge amount on this episode, but there's a line at the beginning of this uh, where the, the, the boss says, you know, that's what they call it, the clay resource, or... You know, it's time for the clay resource. And Dan goes, me. And Kate goes, us. <laughs> yep. I wonder if we're going somewhere with that dynamic. You know, we talked about the complete and absolute inappropriateness of him taking her on that mission last week. Mm-hmm. I, I'm starting to think that he's doing this more as he likes to f- solve puzzles. So he's looking yep. at this as a puzzle. And yeah. he is that much of the, uh, I want to say absent-minded professor, but the kind of stereotypical, uh, you know, science and only science type of guy that, uh, you know, putting his wife in immediate peril is not foremost in his mind. I mean, he recognizes it when it happens yeah. and doesn't like it, but still he kind of allows it to happen by, you know, making sure that she's his sidekick. And I think she loves it because she's like digging the, the, the secret agent stuff. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Probably a, uh, you know, uh, went into the sciences because she was very good at it, but probably did like school plays and stuff when she was younger. (laughs) Frustrated actress. Yeah. Uh, I'm thing. I don't have my notes, but I'm going to bring it up now before I forget it. Mm -hmm. There is a line in this episode, um, when we're talking about the camera, We'll talk about the camera later, Um, where he makes some comment about what they can do with technology. Yes. And and Dan's response is, yeah, what they can't do (laughs) with technology, which is a very pointed remark to Walter about the fact that they haven't been able to restore him. Yeah. Except I thought he was the expert. Well, it could be that he's kind of showing his frustration in the fact that he can't crack the problem. Hmm. I, I felt like he was pointing that remark at Walter 
Because Malter said sorry. Something like that. Well, yeah. Yeah, sorry about that. Yeah. yeah. Or I understand. Or I, you know, it's like, it, it just, it, it sounded like Walter was apologizing to him for that. And I'm thinking, wait, he's given you all the money you need. He's given mm -hmm. you the lab to work in. And you're the guy that knows what the heck you did in the first place. You can't blame technology for that, Dan. <laughs> yeah. No, well, maybe he... uh, you're the guy that wrecked the equipment that could have perhaps saved you. <laughs> True. Well, maybe he is, uh, you know, actually not that enamored with the whole spy thing. You know, maybe that's why that line was in there. Is it kind of want to convey that he was, you know? Yeah. Well, you could you could totally understand why uh, Walter might not want him to cure himself solve it yeah exactly yeah <laughs> lucrative government contract mm. yeah yeah very lucrative government lots contract. of black money here Loads. on the other hand it could be far more lucrative if he could recreate the invisibility i mean the problem oh, with yeah. his invisibility is that he has to use that stupid mask if he could snap on and off with like wearing a wristwatch or something exactly. uh, it would be much more uh, much more useful mm -hmm. in that situation right and anyway yeah that 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 combined with the last week where he was complaining about having to keep going off and solving problems instead of working on his problem, um, I, I can't figure out. Because you're right. He seems totally into it. Yeah. When it, when it's like, ah, this is a, a thing I can solve. So let's. Oh, maybe that's how he approaches problems. He just, you know, gets really into it, which mm. kind of would make sense because, you know, in the, the pilot, he would he woke up in the middle of the night desperately trying to oh, find yeah. out new uses or actually uses, practical uses, for invisibility. <laughs> yeah, any practical use yeah. for invisibility. Yeah. I, I found one. Secret agent. Wait. <laughs> no, let's cross that off. That's right underneath the magician's assistant. Yeah. Ooh, what a great job. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's how Penn and Teller does it. Hmm. Uh, I've always thought of that. Always thought that. Um, actually, so we might as well talk about the camera now, because it is next to my notes. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, there's two things about the camera. First off... The very idea of a little camera that size that's like point and shoot, you don't even need to focus it. Who who would believe that kind of nonsense? Well, well lots of people. <laughs> uh, they had Minox cameras that shot sub-miniature uh, uh, film in World War II. That's why they were developed. They shoot a, a negative that's a little bit smaller than one of your fingernails. And they are actually pretty good. So why is Dan giving it that uh, that comment then? I I don't know. Probably because it's 1975, and he wants to make a point that this little, uh, you know, uh, one centimeter thick slab of aluminum with a lens stuck on the front of it is a uh, super fancy camera. Now, if they could make that a phone, wow! Mm, nah, huh. nobody would believe that. <laughs> ah, yeah, it's true. Not going to happen anyway. No. I was trying to figure out the type of camera that uh, Kate used. The closest I could come was some sort of a Pentax camera made in the 60s. Well, that's whatever the prop department had. Yeah, exactly. Filed camera bag. bag for cameraman, news reporter, something it, like yeah, that. Yeah, it's probably yeah. the entire kit was in that bag. In yeah. fact, there's probably a prop house in, in uh, Hollywood that you can just rent the thing now. <laughs> probably. Unless it has been run over by a truck or something in some movie. Yeah, that's probably true. Um, so we have in this episode, we have a very good practical example of why being invisible is not necessarily the end all to be all. 
because whereas as discussed previously, Dan might have been able to secrete that camera in an orifice somewhere. <clears throat> yes. Almost small enough, perhaps, maybe, that he could do it. But when he's using it yeah, we in see the, the room thing. where the guys are standing there, I mean, yeah, he's hiding it behind a bench, but still. Yeah, it, it had to come out of the pocket. Yeah. I, I, I watched that scene a couple times, and it's like, no, I don't quite know how he pulled that one off. <laughs> He's palming it. <laughs> Anything hidden in his palm is... Uh... Yeah, but we wouldn't see the... Uh, it would have been... if When he was using the camera, it would have been difficult to explain on TV and expensive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I know. I just... I, yeah. There were a couple instances where that camera was moving through the air when people should have seen it. Yeah. Yeah. And did not. And that is going to be a serious limitation to my believability of these scenes. <laughs> you know, if he were invisible, let, let's suspend our disbelief and say he's invisible. Okay, fine. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> like, but his utility is relatively limited by the fact that he's naked and he can't carry anything. <clears throat> right, right. Yeah. Nothing too hot out, nothing too cold out. Uh, rains yeah. right out of the, the whole thing. Same thing with snow. Dan, we've got a case for you in Alaska. No, no, exactly. no, no, Minnesota, right out. Nope. <laughs> After that debacle in the Gobi Desert, no. <laughs> the clay gonna... resource works from 69 degrees Fahrenheit to 82 <laughs> degrees Fahrenheit. Shirt That's sleeve it. environment only. <laughs> Fact, my favorite place, nudist beaches. <laughs> yeah, real easy. Yeah, just, that's it. Um, I did, speaking of nudist beaches, um, actually not nudist beaches, but uh, taking your clothes off. Okay. So we do have one of the classic scenes where Dan rips his head off. Yeah, here the Velcro. And takes his clothes off. But we also had a what I think was a much better scene where he runs into the bushes at the end. Yeah. And then we just see the clothes piling up on the ground. Right. And then the face and, and uh, wig drop. No, he didn't even do that one at that one. Really? He, he, yeah, that there was one scene where they just tossed stuff on the ground and ran. Well, and the face oh. wig tossed that as well, but we never yeah. saw it come off. They saved oh, no, no, all the blue screen at work. Right yeah. Yeah. yeah, just plop, plop, plop. Yeah. Yep. Hands on. That was. I thought you know that was just as effective as having the the head come off. And oh, exactly. Probably a lot exactly. cheaper. Yeah, I'm sure we're going to see more and more of that as the series goes on because they're, you know, the yeah. the crews figuring out how to pull off invisibility gags. Without having to use the uh, um, the the blue screen technique, image six fifty five, which you know we'll have a problem because if he's wearing blue screen gloves and he holds something, even that will be a. An oh, issue. that's already happened. I think in the first episode, it probably did. I mean, yeah. certainly we have that problem with his the back of his turtleneck, but yeah, uh, yeah well. they could just digitally put that in now. They could, you know, that's going to be the restoration. The, you know, they're going <laughs> to <Yeah>. remaster this. <laughs> when they remaster all this of the Blu-ray, yeah. I suppose you might be able to figure out uh, a way to uh, clean up the uh, the the contrast and in, in detail artifacts from the uh, Image 655 composition over the film. Yeah, Maybe. there's stuff they could sure. do. I'm not sure there's stuff they could do mm -hmm. with their, their voodoo magic. <laughs> sure. Or technology, whatever you want to call it, sure. 
There is an episode of Space 1999. You may recall it. Um, I cannot think of its name. Seen a couple, yeah. Off the off the top of my head, but it's the one in season two where the planet of the androids wants John Koenig or the humans to show them anger so that they can learn to kill. Oh, yes, yes. I unfortunately remember that one. You do unfortunately remember yeah. that one. And do you remember what the... I'm, you probably... Well, I'm sure you didn't hear the podcast on that episode. I'll, I'll no. just go there. Oh, yeah. And uh, I will say that the biggest bone of contention in that, I think, for me, was the fact that John Koenig is the stupidest human being on this planet because he knows they're trying to make him angry. Yes. He knows they have no emotions. He knows they are androids. And he knows that they are literally trying to uh, seduce Dr. Russell in front of him yes. to him get him angry. Yeah. And he still gets angry. Right. I mean, his yeah. fist clenched, yeah. jaw tight. Tony's like, don't do it, John. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's just what they want. I can't stand watching this anymore, Tony. Ah! <laughs> like, wow. OK, dude, dude, Android. At best, it's a sex toy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's... Helena knows what's going on. Sure. She's not going to fall in love with a stinking Android. Why are you so mad? It, it, it's so unreasonable. And I was so worried going into this episode that as soon as they get into the, oh, you got to flirt with him. I'm going, oh, he's going to pull a John Koenig. He's going <laughs> to pull a John Koenig. Oh, he, he's, um, and he kind of did. A little bit. A little. Not as bad as it could have been. No. But no. more than he should have. Uh, based on other episodes, well, we haven't had too many of them so far, but, but yeah, Based on other episodes, he did go a little bit more than the others. Yeah. And and also more, no, more than, ignoring is more than what he should have done under those circumstances. It's like, he's the one that set her up to it. Uh, yeah. These yeah. were not passionate kisses. Right. It's work. <laughs> it's, it's work. She knows it. She doesn't want to do it. He doesn't want her to do it. And then yet he still has to pour the drink down the guy. Uh, just because Maybe that's to show that he's, he's still human. Still human. Yeah, that, that doesn't show me he's still human. That shows me he's too stupid to get the job done properly. Right. But it's like uh, jealousy. You can just table that one. You can table it. It was your idea. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's, like, it's even worse. It was your idea and you brought your wife along. Exactly. Yeah. Seriously. Come on. But it was not as bad as John Koenig. But. Oh, no. Now. But. Let's put a flip side on that. She is the first one who kisses De Vega. Yeah. Okay. Chase little kiss, but a little on the lips, and you know, just a little packy thing, and he's mm -hmm. encouraged, and that's exactly what she was supposed to do. Yep. And that's about as much as she did with him until, and she's she's doing this, mm -hmm. right? Then they drug him. <laughs> yeah. And he's completely unconscious. And Dan goes, kiss him. Mm-hmm. But he's unconscious. What kind of kiss girl him. do you think but, I am? <laughs> yeah, what the heck? <clears throat> yeah. What, what the heck? I mean, I... I, I, I <laughs> my, my first reaction to this, and my, my mostly continuing reaction is, that's a stupid distinction she's drawing there. 
I don't, I don't, I don't get why suddenly she's shy about it. And then it hits me. It's like, is it because she's taking advantage of him? Yep. But she is taking advantage of him. She drugged him. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's, it's not like. Yeah. yeah, it's, it's a like, fine well, shade of gray. I slipped with her. the roofie on him, but I didn't do anything. <laughs> yeah, you yeah, did. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. <laughs> you did. So my my honor is intact. I was like, okay, that I just thought that was weird, but I, no, I thought it was his poor writing. There we go. It, it's it's on <laughs> the writer. I don't know what they were trying to go on there with that thing. So I don't know. The art room. Oh yeah, the art room. A vacuum. Or were uh, they pumping a different gas in? <clears throat> uh, the vacuum would be bad. They must and, have been putting nitrogen in there. And that that was my next question. So it's like, it appears to be that they're just pumping the air out. If that's the case, would a vacuum be good? Well, A, would it be good for your art? Would it, and B, would it even be possible in a room of that size? Well, uh, let's see. A uh, room of that size, yes, it would take a while, but you could draw a decent vacuum in that. The pumps would have to be going for quite a while, and yeah, the room to uh, would have to be incredibly strong, right? Well, yeah, yeah, that goes without saying. Uh, but yeah, the it would be hard to hide something like that in an embassy. And I kind of doubt of the way that did the door not slide open? Uh, no, it, it uh, opened like a door. It swung it inward, door, but which it means there seals. wouldn't be any vacuum in it. Because there's a vacuum, you'd want the door to open out, so out. the outside air pressure would push the door closed, like on an airplane. Okay, but let's pretend like it is. Kind of. Would there be any advantage to having your pictures in a vacuum? No, I think it would damage them. The uh, The loss of pressure would cause the uh, uh, the Pink oils out to outgas. <laughs> yeah. yeah, everything would outgas. Um, th- things would break down. Uh, the boiling point for anything would be dramatically reduced. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, I know it would not be good. Probably split the wood. Who knows? Okay. Uh, I, I know you. Uh, it would dry things out amazingly well. How about that? <laughs> yeah, water. Water vapor and everything like <clears throat> that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would all go, would all go away. Right, but so, back filling the room with nitrogen, that would be fine. That would preserve the uh, artwork quite well. That would do great, except breaking the nozzle would make no difference then, would it? Um, no, that would have to be like, um, when he broke the nozzle, I thought it was like he was breaking the, uh, fire suppressant system. I thought so too. And but... that caused the alarm to trip. And then they opened the door and air got in. Boy, well, it wasn't. They, they did an emergency purge and put oxygen back in the room. But that is not what they showed us. I mean, no. that's what I thought. I thought he was trying to break the fire sprinkler. Right. But when he broke it, the air pressure started coming back up. Or the air reading started yeah. coming back up. And later, DeVega says, I would remove the oxygen from the remote room, but I can't do it anymore because the nozzle's broken. Well, he said suffocation. Well, suffocation, yeah, which you get from lack of oxygen. But yeah. Yeah, but this But not again, he, said, he indicated that he can't do it because the nozzle is busted. And it's, it is the nozzle that yeah. was doing something yeah, with regards to that. Yeah, that wouldn't make much sense. Oh well, you know it's 1975 TV. Yeah, I I I was looking at that, going, yeah, this this has all the hallmarks of just being a problem for our Invisible Man, mm-hmm. as opposed to being a practical way or practical amount of money. You had to 
had to have the embassy built around, well, that would be a heck of a renovation job in an embassy just for his art collection, which it would appear that he only kept those stolen paintings in. Yeah, it looked like it was part of a back room. There was that corridor and it kind of looked like it, it went around a few other rooms possibly. You didn't really see the doors, but it was kind of implied. I mean, obviously it was just built with a kind of a uh, a dog leg in there to, to make the set look more interesting, but you know, like a Star Trek corridor. Right. right. But yes, folks, so if, that's what they, if you they, have artwork, don't keep it in a vacuum. No, no. No. Especially stolen artwork of... <laughs> Which president was that? I don't know. Uh, at first I, I was, was going to say it's Washington, but it's not. No, it's not Washington. And I looked at the portraits of presidents yeah. thinking that was one of them. It's not, is I it? I can't tell. Yeah. Uh, it's either the second uh, Adams or um, uh, there's another one there. It, it's a couple, three down the line, but I couldn't tell you which one it was to save my life. I, I looked at them all and I'm just looking at that portrait going, it must be one of them, but I don't Not James know. K. Polk? I don't know. I have no idea what he looked like. I think from the clothing, it looked more like it was a, a 18th century. Yeah, yeah, definitely was an early one. Yeah, that was just that was just weird. That was just weird. I am pleased to see that we are still willing to countenance criminals uh, and crime, uh, so long as we can get a diplomatic deal for a NATO base. Uh politics. Yeah. Yeah, I'm so glad that we've gotten all that stuff straightened out now in the year 2020. <laughs> no, that, yeah, that never happens these days. Yeah, no, no, never no, part no, of a no, TV no. show or news or anything like that. No. Uh -uh, no, nothing, nothing of that nature. Also, uh, a note: earrings, bad idea when going mm -hmm. undercover. Yeah, always. I tried always. to notice if she lost them, you know, in the other scenes. I, I couldn't. I, couldn't, I never uh, saw the spot them. I, you know, it surprises the heck out of me. Because they'll usually draw your attention to that. I know. That was actually quite nice. It just showed up. Like, oh, hmm. What was it? There was a director a long time ago. Uh, he said, you know, give the audience two and two and let them figure out four. Something like that. It's just a horrible quote, but or misquoting. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's, you know, give the audience enough to figure for them to figure it out for themselves. And I think this is the case. A lot of times everything's just spoon fed and, you know, that scene well, is in yeah, there for I mean, there reason is... and all that kind of stuff. Well, uh, the, you know, in addition to just your, your Chekhov's gun, there's, there's also mm -hmm. the, the law of conservation of detail. Yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, you're much. not going to show something you don't need to know later because it's a waste of time. At, yeah, and, well, and sometimes money. you want to do that because it, it makes red the herring. story interesting. Exactly. Red herrings. I, well, I think, no, I think that that is, I, I mean, it, it's a thing. I don't know that it, you could call it a law. I think that as time has gone on, we have gotten, we, when I say we, I mean, the people who are telling our stories have gotten worse and worse <laughs> and worse about it. Yeah. There's a shooting ratio. Yeah. You know, we're not going to show so, this thing over here because it doesn't show up in the next page of the script. So it's out. You know, it's like, we have hmm. no time for people talking or anything like that. It's just go. So, you know, when you, when you watch a show like this, I, I, how about this? That one didn't bother me. And, and I'm, I'm not exactly, I'm not exactly going to say that I'm on either side of this argument, but there is a good reason 
to have Chekhov's gun, right? Mm -hmm. There is a, there is a reason to show those things so that the audience doesn't think you're just pulling a fast one on them later on. Right. But in the case of this earring, it's, it, it, she didn't notice losing it. Right. Therefore we didn't notice losing it and it's a hundred percent plausible that it was going to be in there because she was all dressed up for the evening and right. would be wearing earrings so yeah now what would sense. be better is if there was a moment in this episode if we go back and watch it again which it won't but if there were a moment <laughs> I went back and watched the episode and you'd notice that she only had one earring right that's what i was looking for and i, I couldn't quite spot it yeah uh, there definitely was no scene where uh, that where it flew off and got stuck under the cabinet, as far as I can tell. Yeah, um, that would have ruined but, it, actually. But, yeah. But, you know, if they had... Now, if they had not removed her one earring for those later scenes and then found it, that would have been... That would have been annoying. Typically mm -hmm. annoying. Well, it was my third ear. Exactly. Um, yeah. I, I keep that ring somewhere else. Um, key yeah. fob. That's it. Yeah. Key, key fob. fob. That's it. Mm -hmm. uh, it's key fob. Um, <laughs> okay. Let's see. Music. Oh, yeah. I don't know what the name of that, that music was, but boy, you hear it a yeah, lot. You hear it. it. It's, it's, and not just in fake TV shows. It was real. It was a classic. Mm -hmm. Um, but the funny thing about that is then later in the episode, mm -hmm. did you notice what the background music was? It was the same thing, wasn't it? No, it was the theme from The Invisible Man. Oh, really? So at the art well, party, darn. he was playing a piano version of the Invisible Man <laughs> thing. <laughs> oh, wow. I thought, now that's kind of that's kind of weird that they went to the trouble of having real music at one point, and then later on they go, oh, we can slip this one in. I, it's, maybe it's cheap. I don't know. But Yeah, maybe the, uh, the cost of transposing it to a piano is cheaper than... Pain the rights again? I don't know. I don't know how that would work. Or maybe it's just, it's, you know, you know, maybe Mancini had a piano version of it. Probably already did. Yeah. yeah he probably, when he wrote it in the first place, he, he was, was on the piano. On exactly. His piano. Man, he, yeah, exactly. <laughs> He's just playing this little tune and they call him out and say, hey, Henry, we got a TV show. I have got a tune for you. <laughs> exactly. Got one in the can already. Yep. TM we Monday. Can, I can just change the instrumentation and make it. Sound like the mystery movie of the weekend. We are good. Exactly. <laughs> yep. Got a dozen of them here in this box. Yep. Um, speaking of the uh, temperature, I, I was abused by the marble is cold on my feet. <laughs> yeah. Comment. But uh, <laughs> I could see a, a whole bunch of these. It's like, uh, do do we really have to walk across this dirt yard? Could we, could we take the path? Could we go yeah. the long way around? <laughs> these lava rocks are, are kind of sharp. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or don't walk through the don't walk through the long grass. It's right. going to look I'll, funny. <laughs> I'll follow them to their hideout <laughs> in Branson Canyon. And yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but still, despite that, I still think there's some issues with him running around naked during the course. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You know, it's the swing in 70s. Yeah. <clears throat> Literally. Yeah, literally yeah, yeah. this week. Yeah, yeah. Think about that. It's true. Yeah. I um, let's ask this question. I don't have much for it. Let's ask this question. Was this a good plan? Uh, to swap the paintings? To 
No, Let, let's start with the initial one. We need you to get inside the embassy and tell us if the pictures are there. Oh, that? Um, I Boy, I don't know. I think there could be easier ways of doing that. You would think an invisible me. man could find a way into that place a lot easier. Yeah. Just stand around the doorway until somebody goes in and then stay inside the embassy until, you know, all day. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, at some point you'd have to slip off to the bathroom, but... Yeah, true, true. Well, they had potted plants all over the place, so... That's true. They probably have bathrooms. Maybe. He could just slip into one of those and use it. Mm-hmm. As long as they're not... Uh, don't have cameras. Um, That would be an interesting piece of video. Yeah, Where did and that come long from? As long as nobody Whoa. wants to use it when he's in there. Yeah. Well, wait, he locks the door. They come to the door and knock on it. He uses the restroom. Yeah. Flushes the toilet. Stands in the shower or wherever, lets them come in. Or... Yep. Then he slips out. Sure. Yeah, but then we wouldn't have Kate in that dress. Okay. Okay. There's, there's something to that. Yep. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's just like, it struck me as just not really a very intelligent use of an invisible asset. Well, you know, when, when you've only got one tool and it's a hammer, everything's a nail. So... <laughs> You know, somebody wanted to, you know, hire the uh, the the clay resource for a lot of money. So yeah, there you go. You got to use both of them. Yeah, we got to use, use both. both. But I, I think Stick Kate away. was not necessary for most of this. No. Now, at the end, obviously, when they came up with a plot for swapping them in and out, and you had to set it up at the beginning that she was flirting with a guy to get the invitation to come back, and all. It's like mm -hmm. okay, but it just. It's like, wow, I, if I were invisible, I don't think that would be my my opening gambit would be to try to do an actual send in a spy who is visible so that we have a spy who's invisible yeah. running around. I know there's the, the camera angle, but you have to get the camera in somehow. But I don't know. It, it just didn't hold up. Uh, what do you got on this episode, if anything? Mm, always check carts. That's yeah. going to be really important. Especially from the Russians. Yeah. You know, any cleaning cart, a catering, catering cart, always check them. Especially if they just happen to be big enough to put a painting in. <laughs> it's like, well, you got to put food in those things. Yeah, true, but, you know, you could hide all sorts of stuff in them. Fair enough. But it was the Russians, so it's not the Americans, so it's okay. Okay. <laughs> I think that was, the, the name of the caterer was... I wrote it down. Start it's with like a Krakow. K. Yeah. Krakow. Oh, Kavkaz Russian Catering. That's actually what it said. Kavkaz oh, okay. Russian Catering. Interesting. <laughs> it's like, huh. like, and I'm thinking that's just a, an ode to Ilya Kuryakin. Oh, it could be. Yeah. Could be. Which, yeah, they, uh, incidentally, anybody didn't know, uh, David McCallum, in addition to playing Steel on Sapphire and Steel, was also Ilya Kuryakin on The Man yes. from Uncle. And he was also in some TV series called Coldits. Or Cold Coldits? Yeah, Coldits. Yeah. The British one. The British one, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I hear that's quite good. Actually, I saw it, a but... couple episodes of it. And yeah, actually, it's pretty good. And he plays a uh, a pretty decent character in that. Is he a Russian? No, he's British. David McCallum playing a British person? I know, it's quite a stretch. Wow. Oh, shocking. <laughs> Absolutely shocking. 
Um, yeah, that's it for me. Oh, um, uh, the bad guy who's going to help move the uh, paintings. Didn't he become a, a a bad guy for in a Bond movie? Am I thinking of somebody else? I did not um, know any notice him in any way, but I look right now as we're looking. Vincent <laughs> Beck is the actor's name. Died in nineteen eighty four. Oh, then probably not. He uh, started on screen in Santa Claus Conquers the Martians, nineteen sixty four. Really. I'm so sorry. I've seen that movie. Um, he had a heck of a... There's a heck of a list here um, of guest stars on TV. So you've, mm-hmm. you've seen him in The Invisible Man and Petrocelli and Mannix and Medical Center and Macmillan and Wife and the FBI and The Magician and Mission Impossible, Ironside, Smith & Jones, Wild Wild West, hmm. uh, Adam-12, The Monkees. He had several episodes with The Monkees. Huh. Lost in Space, the Time Tunnel. There you go. Man from Uncle. The Girl from Uncle. <laughs> Get Smart. Gilligan's Island. Hmm. As a Russian. Okay, I can see. I can see that. He, he played someone named Igor. I know that's a Igor. Russian. Oh, no, wait. Igor would be... Um, Igor would probably be the the, the uh, henchman for Vito Scotti's mad scientist. Mm, okay. Big... Uh, remember when he was swapping brains vaguely yeah i haven't seen gilligan's island in a long time oh you're missing out on a classic there so i've been told but not a lot of movies just uh tv appearances yeah. so oh, there you go the same thing with ross martin he wasn't in too many films was it he? well he's in a couple in a couple uh, he was in, in the the saddest moment of his career is when he played charlie chan oh yeah okay yeah. Some things don't age well. Um, Paycheck's a paycheck. Oh, I should mention one thing. Diego de Vega. Did that name sound familiar? It does, but I couldn't tell you why. Don Diego de la Vega. Zorro. Oh. <laughs> All right. Interesting. I wonder how many other little uh, things like that we're going to find in these episodes. I don't know. I When I when I heard it, I and like, did, did they just say Diego de la Vega? <laughs> it's like, no, it's Diego... De Vega, but <laughs> still, like, really? Come on. <laughs> John, thank you for joining me. No, you're welcome. <laughs> Listeners, I do hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. You've been listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. Find out how you can be a sponsor and get early access to all episodes and more at patreon.com slash fusion patrol. Come join the conversation on Facebook or Twitter. All episodes are available at FusionPatrol.com. Our music is Fight the Future by Amber Wolf. This has been a Lone Locust production. Next time, a very special episode of Fusion Patrol. We're going to be taking a look at the pilot movie for Babylon 5, titled... The Gathering. So join us as we discuss a murder mystery. We unpick the world building and political intrigue in this Babylon 5 opener and talk about the influences and parallels in Agatha Christie, George Smiley, UFO, The West Wing and the Eurovision Song Contest. Come join the conversation.